Hey, good morning, church family. What a beautiful weekend the Lord has blessed us with. Somebody say amen to that. Good to see you. Welcome all of you who are here in person and all of you who are joining us online. It's so great uh, that you have made worship a priority in your life this weekend. If you got a Bible, I want you to grab it and go to, let me hear your pages turning to Psalm 55. Psalm 55. Find that and just hold that ready. While you're doing that, let me just really uh, give an extra plug for the first Monday men's study. Uh, the August uh, study is tomorrow night. Join me in the chapel at 7 o'clock. We didn't say that in the video, but at 7 o'clock, all you need to do is bring your Bible in an open heart, and we're going to have a great time of study together. This is the final weekend of our Summer in the Psalms series. Next weekend is our annual back-to-school weekend, one of our favorites, and we look forward to that. But we're going to conclude Summer in the Psalms this weekend, and I'm going to talk to you about fear. What we've been doing throughout the summer is looking at different psalms that express great honesty with God, raw honesty, openness, unlike we normally see in our day-to-day -day lives. And originally, I wasn't going to be talking about fear, but over the last couple of weeks, I've been reminded on several different occasions through different things that fear continues to be one of the biggest struggles that many of us face in our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. And the first thing I want to say about fear is that, and I, I know we all understand that, it's not anything that is new. Fear has been around from the beginning. You can go back to Genesis chapter 3, and you can see that after Adam and Eve disobeyed God by eating that fruit that he had forbidden, that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, everything in their lives changed. And you see the reflection of that in verses 7 through 10. Look at them on the screen. Uh, we read, Then the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the wife, or his wife, rather, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. That's not something they'd ever done before because they'd enjoyed this perfect unity with God. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was, what's it say there? Say it with me. Afraid. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Fear has been around from the beginning of time. And the reason why is because it's a part of the emotional makeup of our lives that was created by God. Think of it like this. Fear, this might sound a little odd, but bear with me. Fear is a part of the creative work of God described like this in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Very good. But as we think about all the negative things associated with fear today, how can we believe that it's something that God would call good because there are so many times in life when fear seems more like a design flaw than it does a design feature? And the answer is simple. Fear, like so many other emotions, has both a positive and a negative application in our lives. The best example I can give you of the positive application of fear in our lives is the many times the Bible tells us that we need to fear God or we need to fear the Lord. And we see that in both the Old and the New Testament. Let me show you some examples. You can see them on the screen. First of all, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 13, we read these words, Fear the Lord your God, serve Him only, and take your oaths in His name. Then you get the Psalms 2 and 11. It says, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Proverbs 1, 7, one that most of us are familiar with if we spend any time in church, says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But it's not just the Old Testament where we see this instruction to fear God. 
We're to fear the Lord. We see it in the New Testament as well. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 50, Mary, as a part of what we call Mary's song, after she found out she was pregnant with the Son of God and she visited Elizabeth, who was pregnant also with John the Baptist, as a part of her response to all that was happening, she said in Luke 1.50, His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17, Peter writes, Show proper respect to everyone, love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, honor the king. Now, that's just a handful of references. Friend, there are many, many more. I did a word study on that word fear in every single one of those passages. And in every single one of those passages, the word fear is a word that means reverence. Reverence. That's the fundamental meaning of what it means to fear God, to have a reverence for God, because reverence for God is going to impact the way you view God and the way you respond to God, and on and on and on. And so, what that means is that fear can be a very positive emotion in our lives when it causes us to have a reverence for God. It can also be a very positive emotion in our lives when it causes us to have a healthy respect for something in a way that will keep us safe. You don't want to raise your children to be afraid, but you want to raise your children with a healthy respect for things that can hurt them because that healthy respect for those things will keep them safe. I have a healthy respect for fire because it can be dangerous when it's out of control, when it's uncontrolled, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to sit by a controlled campfire and roast marshmallows with my grandkids. You know what I'm talking about. But having said that, having talked about that positive application of fear in our lives, here's the problem. There's also a negative application of fear in our lives. And that negative application has the power to consume us and to paralyze us and to keep us from experiencing the fullness of life that God wants us to experience, the fullness of life that Jesus came into the world to offer to all of us. That's why the Bible says, fear not, or do not fear, or do not be afraid, or some rendering like that some 365 times in the Bible from cover to cover. There's a reference of, to not being afraid, to not uh, letting fear take control of your life for every single day of the calendar year. And those words are given to us in the Word of God so that the negative application of fear in our lives will not be a real thing that controls our lives. And really, it's that negative application of fear that's on my mind this morning as we worship together, that negative application of fear that's not, that's not just something that's out there in the world, that's not just something that's out there in the lives of other people, it's something that is very real oftentimes in all of our lives, yours, mine, all of our family, friends that we know, and on and on and on. And here's what we need to understand about that negative application of fear that wants to paralyze us and control us and stifle us in our lives, that isn't the will of God for any of us. It is not the will of God for the negative application of fear to take control of your life. And here's one simple way that we can know that. Look at these words on the screen from 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. The apostle Paul writes, and he says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Now, that word timidity is the way it's rendered in the New International Version Bible, but in the original language of the New Testament, it's a Greek word that is oftentimes, and you see this in older translations of the Bible in this very verse, oftentimes translated fear. There are even some 
translations like the New Living Translation, for example, that would read like this. For God did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. So what Paul is writing to Timothy about is fear. God didn't give you a spirit of fear. God did not give you a spirit of fear. God did not intend for fear, the negative application of fear, to overwhelm your life and control your life. That's not the will of God for any of us. And here's how we know that's true. Because that word, that word that's used here in this verse for timidity, that word that is used for fear oftentimes, that's translated fear oftentimes in the same very verse, in the original language of the New Testament is the Greek word delia. We'll see it on the screen. We'll give a little explanation of it. And the literal meaning of this word delia is a lack of confidence that borders on cowardice. A lack of confidence that borders on cowardice. And this is not fear that is reverence for God. This is not fear that is a healthy respect for something that might harm you and so you are measured in the way you deal with it. This is fear that lacks confidence about life that borders on cowardice. This is fear that cowers in the face of circumstances. This is fear that cowers in the face of challenges. This is fear that keeps you closed off and paralyzed and without a lot of hope as you look at the future. And there are a lot of things in life that can create this reality for all of us. We just went through a worldwide pandemic that took the lives of over 6 million people worldwide, over a million people here in the United States. And it's not over completely. Unpredictable, senseless, stupid acts of violence are happening all around us in an almost routine way. We just got a personal taste of that right here in our own community with the recent shooting at the Greenwood Park Mall a couple of weeks ago. People are filled with fear related to finance, about whether or not they're afraid whether or not they're going to be able to pay their bills, afraid about whether or not they're going to have money for the future when they're no longer able to work, and on and on and on. There are hate crimes, government corruption, liberal social agendas that threaten the very foundation of our country. It goes on and on. I, have a, I would be lying if I said that I didn't have any fear in my life. I have a fear in my heart related to the future of our country. I have a fear in my heart related to the kind of world that my grandkids are going to inherit when they're adults. And I really doubt I'm alone in that. This is the reality of the world that we live in. We live in a world filled with circumstances that can create fear, but it is not the will of God for any of us that our lives be controlled by fear, by that negative application of fear. When that shooting happened a couple of weeks ago at the Greenwood Park Mall, I know we were all heartbroken. I posted the following message on my Pastor Philbeck Facebook page, which I use just primarily for church-related information. This is what I wrote. My heart is heavy over the senseless and tragic loss of life that happened last night at the Greenwood Park Mall. We live in a broken world that groans for redemption, something we are reminded of every single day. I'm praying for those who lost loved ones, and I'm praying for the sufficiency of God's grace to cover us and protect us. God, help us. And one of the comments that was posted on my Facebook page in response said, this just makes me, and I'm sure more than me, more anxious to go out. Anxiety, of course, has its foundation in fear. And I'm not sharing that. Listen to me really close. 
I'm not sharing that as any kind of a criticism because I understand those words. I understand them. And I don't just understand them. I empathize with them. I empathize with the feelings behind those words. And I don't want to get crossways with anyone. I don't want to offend anyone who has a very real and a very genuine need to be cautious, to protect themselves because of certain realities about their life or their physical condition. But I want to reiterate that there is a positive and a negative application of fear in our lives. And it is not the will of God that any of us allow our lives to be dominated or led by that negative application of fear that keeps us from experiencing life the way God wants us to experience it. And that brings me to Psalm 55. So, if you've got your Bible open there and you're able today, go ahead and stand with me for the reading of the Scripture. I got to tell you something. It's a little bit longer than normal. But you look like you need to stand up. I saw a couple of heads nod off there. And... But I want to say something to you before I read this psalm. This is written by David and... To be true to the context, it was written about a time in David's life where he was afraid he was going through a difficult time because someone had turned against him and created all kinds of havoc in his kingdom and in his life, created all kinds of problems for him. And what I'm going to do with Psalm 55 today is not an exposition of this. In fact, I'm going to be really honest with you. Listen to me close. I'm probably not even going to be true to the text in some ways, which is something that I very rarely do. Because what I'm going to do with regard to this message about fear, is I'm going to focus on some principles or truisms in the psalm rather than the overall psalm itself. And so I'm going to tell you that in advance. You follow along as I read. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught at the voice of the enemy, at the stares of the wicked, for they bring down suffering upon me and revile me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death assail me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and storm. Push the pause button there for a moment. Let me ask you a question. In the last couple of years, have you ever had a moment in your life with all of the chaos and the fear that's been going on around this where you, wish I, where you thought to yourself, I wish there was just some way I, place I could escape to, just like David just wrote? I wish there was some, some fortress of solitude like Superman had somewhere away where I could get away from it all. Then he goes on, confuse the wicked, O Lord, confound their speech, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were ra raising himself against me, I could hide from it. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with a throng at the house of God. It was somebody that David was close to who had turned against him that had created this chaos in his life. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the grave, for evil finds lodging among them. And here's the part of the psalm that means the most to us today. But I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He ransoms me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God, who is enthroned forever, will hear them and afflict them. Men who never change their ways, who have no fear of God... 
My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His speech is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. But you, O God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of corruption. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men will not live out half their days. And then he concludes like this, but as for me, I trust in you. All right, there it is. Thank you for being willing to stand that long. We always ask God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of his word. David was no stranger to fear in his life. And we see that in this psalm, but we also see that in many other psalms that he wrote. And right off the bat in this psalm, he kind of outlines for us the way fear would negatively impact his life. And he does that primarily in the first four verses, the first couple primarily. He says, listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear my Hear me and answer me. Now, note what he says next. He says, my thoughts, everyone say thoughts, thoughts trouble me. And I am distraught at the voice of the enemy at the stairs of the wicked, for they bring down suffering upon me and revile me in anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death assail me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I'm going to stop right there. I read those words. And one of the many things that jumps out to me is that while there are some very real and dangerous things happening, very real, tangible, dangerous things happening around David, there was also another part of of the problem that David was facing that was causing him to have fear, and that was his negative and fearful thoughts. His thoughts, think about that with me, friends. His thoughts had in heart immobilized him with fear. Not necessarily real things, but his thoughts. And that's what happens oftentimes to people who let the negative application of fear invade their lives. It's their thoughts. It's all the what ifs or what might happen speculation that takes over your life and paralyzes you with fear. Now, if I'm going to be honest with you today, I will have to tell you that I have some familiarity with that in my personal life. I shared with you, you know this, and many of, I'm so thankful to many of you who are praying for her. My sister-in-law, my, my brother Kenneth's wife, my brother Kenneth, of course, is a pastor in Georgia, and he's preached here at Mount Pleasant multiple times. You know him. My sister-in-law, his wife, is in a significant health battle as she was diagnosed with two brain tumors. The tumors have been removed through surgery. She's undergone her first series of chemotherapy and radiation. She's doing well. She had an appointment recently at MD Anderson Hospital in Houston in the medical center there, which is a world-famous cancer research and treatment hospital. She's going for a follow-up to that on August the 10th. And so if you're one of the prayer warriors that's praying daily for Jolene, and again, I thank you for that so much. I want you to keep that August 10th date in your mind and on your calendar because when she went uh, to MD Anderson the first time, she had an MRI follow-up from her radiation and chemotherapy treatments, and it looked like one of the tumors Uh, was showing no regrowth or edema, but the other tumor was. But she took that to MD Anderson. They looked at it there, and they said that might not necessarily be the case. It might not be that there is regrowth or edema. It might just be that that's the trauma of the radiation that hasn't healed yet. And so when she goes back on the 10th, they're going to try to verify that. So that's an important appointment for her because whatever they discover there is going to set the course for what treatment follows. And so we'd appreciate it if you would keep her in your prayers. Uh, I'm trying to stay in touch with my brother as much as I can because I know um, he is filled with 
a lot of fear. And there are five kids in my family, and I fit right in the middle, but I'm not really the middle child. I'm really the youngest child of the first group because there's eight years difference between me and my brother Kenneth. And then I have a sister, a younger sister named Kimberly, and there's 12 years difference between she and I. And when they were growing up in formative years, that's when their parents, my mom and their biological father got a divorce. My older brother was out of the picture. My older sister was in college and getting married and living her own life. And so I had a really prominent role in their lives. I am honestly more than just an older brother to both of them. And they're very, very, very close to me. And so I've tried to keep in touch with my brother and he gives me updates and then I'll say, how are you doing? And folks, that's when it gets rough, right? That's when the fear comes out. That's when the conversation gets tough because of all the fear that he has about what may or may not happen in the future. And that's when he says things like, I'm just afraid that I might lose her. And that breaks your heart when somebody you love says that. And so, recently, in a conversation and in some text exchange, I told him that when I was sick and I was going through treatments 10 years ago, I wish I could say that every one of my thoughts every single day mirrored the words of the Apostle Paul when he wrote in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I wish my words, my feelings, and my thoughts mirrored those words every day, but that wasn't always the case. And there were times when my thoughts would get the best of me and my mind would go to the worst case scenarios of the future and what might happen. And I would worry about what would happen to my wife, Sandy, and my son, Andrew, his wife, Karen. They just had one child at the time. Grace was just a little baby. We didn't even have the boys yet. My daughter, Tricia, and on and on. And there were times when that fear would get a hold of me and I would feel like it would grip me and not let me go. Because my whole life for, for like 40 days was just waking up every morning, going to the cancer treatment center, going through the treatment, coming back home, and then just waiting until the next morning to do the same thing over and over and over again. So you've got those, all those hours in between where your mind can just go in a thousand different places. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Somebody say amen if you know what I'm talking about. Maybe that's not been your experience, but you know somebody who's had that experience. And here's what I discovered. I discovered that if I was going to survive that, I needed to have a plan on how to deal with it. I'm talking about when those quiet moments, those hours of laying awake in bed, and that fear would come. And I had to have a plan on how I would respond to those moments. And I shared that with my brother, Kenneth. And I shared with him some of the things that were a part of my plan, some of the things that helped me, some of the thoughts that I had, some of the Bible verses and passages that I would use, and told him he needed a plan for that. And the reason why I've got my Bible open to Psalm 55, and I'm using it as a text today for this, is because when I read Psalm 55, if I look at it from just this big outside view, I see David at a time in his life when he was afraid. But I also see in Psalm 55 a really simple plan. Everyone say plan. Plan to deal with that kind of fear. And it's found in three simple words, and I'm going to do this quickly, okay? Here's the first word. Write it down. The first word to keep that negative application of fear from overcoming your life is to embrace the word call. And I look at Psalm 55, verses 16 and 17. Look back there with me if you've got your Bible open still. 
and see that David writes towards the end, after he kind of describes the trauma that was going on in his life, he writes, but I call to God and the Lord saves me. And then he says, evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. Here's the first plan. And let me tell you something, friends, this is not gonna be the deepest sermon you ever heard in your life because this is so simple, but it's so practical and we need to make our faith practical. We don't come to the church and study the Bible for academic information. We come for transformation and sometimes that happens in simple ways. And the first step when fear wants to attack you is to call out to God. We call out to God. That's the first part of the plan. That's what David said that he does. And then in verse 17, he says that in verse 16, but then in verse 17, he gives us some insight into that calling that we have to pay attention to. And there are two things that stands out to me. First, he says in Psalm 55, 16, but I call out to God and the Lord saves me. And then in verse 17, he says this, note this, evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress. Now, if I were to paraphrase that in my own words, Verse 16, in the first part of verse 17, this is what I would say. When fear comes into my life, I call out to God, and I do it again and again and again. Not just a one-time thing. Not just a one-time experience. We call out to God over and over and over again. And friends, when David writes that he does that evening uh, morning and noon. He is not using hyperbole. He is not just writing those words for effect. He is writing about the very real day-to-day -day practice of his life. When the dark side of fear showed up in his life, he called out to God, he cried out to God, and he did it over and over and over again. A while back, I was doing some reading about monastic communities. That sounds like an odd thing to read about, but it's too long a story for me to tell you how that came about. A monastic community is basically a community of people, primarily monks, that's where the word comes from, bound by religious beliefs and laws who live together, oftentimes in seclusion from the rest of the world. And the thing that stood out to me about these monastic communities is how often they prayed. They would begin their day with prayer. They would stop work and pray mid-morning. At noon, they would pray and eat lunch. In the afternoon, they would stop work and mid-afternoon and pray. In the evening, as they finished their work, they would pray. They would pray and when they ate dinner. They would pray before they went to sleep. And oftentimes, they would wake up in the middle of the night and pray again. Again and again and again, there's so much significance here. There's so much power in calling out to God again and again and again because when you do, it, it, it takes your mind off, off of what you're dealing with, the fear that you're dealing with, at least in a, in a healthy spiritual way, and it reminds you that you're not alone, that you have someone who is your constant companion no matter where you are what you're doing. And so the first part of the plan is simply to call out to God, to cry out to him and do it over and over and over again. And then the second thing that stands out to me in verse 17 is what David says about God as we call out to him over and over and over again. He says, and he hears my voice. God always hears your voice. Does anybody know the frustration of feeling like somebody is just not listening to you? Anybody? I mean, is there anything more frustrating? I mean, I, I mean, like... Like, like going to a doctor, for example, and you just say, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I just feel bad. I just, this is what's happened. These are my symptoms. And you, and you pour that and, 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 and then they give you a response. And, and I love doctors. This is not anything. I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm not trying to bash any doctors. I love you guys. If I fall off the stage and break my neck, come on down here and help me, please. <laughs> it's just a matter of time. Let's face it. It's a matter of time before I do that. 
But maybe the, maybe the response is like, did you even hear what I said? And it's not a doctor. It could be, hey, how about your husband or your wife, you know? Did you even hear what I said? We never have to feel that way about God. We never have to feel that way about God. David, David says that I, I, I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. The first part of the plan, and this is so simple, is we just call out to God. Everyone who belongs to God through faith in Jesus is going to be heard by God because he cares about you. And he wants you to call out to him over and over and over again. Here's the second word, the second part of the plan. Cast. Write that down somewhere. And now I'm going to go down to Psalm 55 and verse 22 where David writes and says, Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. I love this verse for many reasons, but one of them is because it's a parallel verse to one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, which is 1 Peter 5, 7, where Peter writes and says, cast all your anxiety, a word that in some translations is literally translated cares, cast all your anxiety or cares on him because he cares for you. Those two verses are almost the same. They mirror each other. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Cast your anxiety or your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. And so when the fears of the day get too much for you to handle, when they begin to rob you of your freedom and paralyze you and hold you down, then the first thing you do is call out to God. The second thing you do is you cast whatever the care is that's leading to that fear onto God. And that word cast means exactly what we think it means, just to throw something on something or someone else. But here's the really interesting thing about this verse here in Psalm 55 22 that really stands out to me. Um, the, the first part that really stands out to me is just understanding what the psalmist David means with the word cares. He says, cast your cares on the Lord. Uh, that is a word also that can be translated burdens, and it's actually translated burdens in other parts of uh, other versions of the Bible. In Hebrews, uh, or Hebrew rather, that's the, Greek, uh, the Hebrew word. I'll get it out here in a minute. That's the Hebrew word, yahab. And so what that means is when David says, in uh, verse 22, cast your cares on the Lord. He says, cast your yahab on the Lord. The meaning of the word yahab is what is given or whatever is given. He's saying, so cast whatever it is that's been given to you onto the Lord. And here's the significance of understanding the meaning of that word. David is saying, whatever it is that God gives you, we should understand it best like this. Whatever it is that God allows to come into your life. Whatever it is that a sovereign God allows to come into your life, you give it right back to him. That's the literal meaning of the words, cast your cares on the Lord. Cast whatever it is God allows to come into your life right back to God. Give it right back to him. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to carry it on your own. That's not what God wants. You just give it right back to God. And then the second thing that really blesses me from Psalm 55, 22 is when David says, cast your cares on the Lord, whatever the Lord allows to come into your life, you give it right back to him. You don't have to carry it alone. And then he says, and he will sustain you. And we need to make sure we don't overlook that word sustain because it means that God's promise is not that he's going to necessarily remove the care that's causing the, uh, the fear. He's not going to necessarily remove the burden that's causing the fear, but he's going to sustain you. 
He's not going to abandon you as you deal with it, as it's a part of your life. And you really see that, that comes into clear focus when you read the entire verse, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. And then he says, he will never let the righteous fall. This is the promise of God. So when fear comes into your life or any other care, any other burden for that matter, any other care or burden that can lead to any other negative thing in your life, and you're tempted to let that negative application take control of your life, the first thing you do is you call out to God, you do it again and again and again, knowing that he will hear you. And the second thing you do is you give it right back to God. You give it right back to him, knowing that he will sustain you. What's that mean, practically speaking? Knowing that he will help you, knowing that he will preserve you, knowing that he will carry you, knowing that he will comfort you, knowing that he will assist you, knowing that he will defend you, knowing that he will favor you, knowing that he will uphold you. And you can go on and on and on as you move forward in your life. So call, cast, here's the third word, trust. Look back. At the very last verse of Psalm 55, it's verse 23, and look at the very last line of the very last verse. Remember, I told you I'm just using this psalm for principles and truisms. David ends it all by saying, but as for me, I trust. Everyone say trust. Trust in you. I trust in you. Now, I'm out of time. I'm inside the two-minute warning here. So let me just say this. If you're a Christian... You know that putting your faith and trust in Christ leads to salvation because you can't save yourself. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. You have to trust in the substitutionary sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin. But sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that once we trust in him for our salvation, we're back on our own. And we have to handle all the details of life on our own, but that's not the case. That trust continues as we live our lives, and we trust him with everything that comes along in our lives. And the way we demonstrate that trust is by enacting the first two parts of the plan, by calling on him and by casting our cares on him. That demonstrates the reality of our trust. We have to make the daily decision in our lives to fight fear with a plan. And this is a simple plan. Call, cast, and trust. In fact... Say that with me. Call, cast, and trust. That's what we do. So let me just ask you a question as we close. Is there some area of your life today, and I'm asking this to all those who are here and all those who are listening to me online, is there some area in your life today where fear is holding you captive, where the negative application of fear is holding you captive. If that's the case, then our prayer, all of us today, should be a prayer that simply says, Lord, help me to call on you. Help me to cast my cares on you. Whatever you allow in my life, let me help me to, to give it right back to you and help me to trust you because you've always been a faithful God and you always will be. I want you to pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Oh, you're such a good God. And we love you so deeply. And I pray right now as we close this part of the service, I pray right now very specifically for anyone here, anyone listening online who is really dealing 
with fear in their life, the negative application of fear in their life in a way that's making life difficult. I pray that you would give them relief and release from that by a willingness to call out to you over and over and over again, knowing you will hear their voice, to take whatever care, whatever burden it is that's bringing that fear into their life and give it right back to you, knowing that you will sustain them. And by having this resolute foundation of faith that says, I will trust you. I pray that with all my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, would you go ahead and stand with me? And the team is going to come and lead us in one more song. If you are a prayer counselor for this service, would you come on down as we sing this song? And if you are really struggling in your life with some kind of a burden, it could be fear, it could be something else, and you need to find a way to, to give that back to God, trusting him to sustain you, would you come and just let somebody pray for you today? You know what we always say? as intimidating as it might feel to come forward, when you take a step down to let somebody pray for you, to be honest about something in your life and let somebody pray for you, you're taking a step toward God, which gives him the opportunity to take a step towards you. You do that. You do that this morning as we sing.